Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. I want to thank all of you for your prayers. Last weekend, we were in Ohio celebrating my oldest brother's life. He had passed away in January, and we were intentionally waiting to have the memorial service that that last wave of COVID had passed so more people could come. And I'm glad that we ended up doing that. It was a little difficult uh, to not have closure for such a period of time, but God worked through it. People were able to travel. They traveled from um, all over the, the probably east of the Mississippi to be with us and to celebrate his life. And I led the service. I just felt the, the Lord uh, asking to do that. I, I don't have a need to be seen and to be in charge of everything. In fact, in some circumstances, it's nice not to. People have asked me, when my daughter gets married, am I going to do the ceremony? And the answer is no, because I have one shot to be the dad. I can always be the pastor, but I got one shot to be the dad. And so I'm just going to be the dad with a case of tissues. Uh, that's going to be me. Uh, we're driving to Ohio. We were still in, on the Northeast Extension, and we were, Dora and I were talking. And she's like, well, because I haven't seen Lindsay's dress yet. And uh, this is a joke, but you would think with all that we spent on that dress, I would be able to see it. You, you get Anyway, uh, that's a little joke there. My wife's not here, and there's no need to text her any of what I'm saying. Um, but she said, yeah, Lindsay on that day is reserving the, the time for your first look, that you'll be able to see her in her dress for the first time and before anyone else. Well, I start crying already. Dora's like, oh, no, what is it going to be like on June 12th? I said, I, I have no idea. Lindsay and I are both criers and uh, certainly will. But anyway, for my brother's memorial service, it was an emotional time. But I, as I was saying, I felt that the Lord wanted me to do that, to share some insights into his life, but also to present uh, God's word uh, to my family and the friends that were gathered there. And what I shared was, for the past couple of years, we've spent a lot of time talking about how people have died. But on this day, we're going to talk about how he lived. And that's even more important than how we die. And I said, uh, worse than someone dying is someone that never learned to live. And my brother Tom knew how to live. As we were going through everything, he lived three lives in one. He passed away at 69, which was much too soon. But my, my man packed his life uh, into all sorts of things, things we didn't know or didn't remember and all of that. And so we appreciate your prayers. My mom sent a thank you note that I'll leave up here that you can see. And she writes it to me. And she calls me Pastor Randy. I'm just kidding. She just wrote it like that. She actually calls me the exalted reverend. Um, <laughs> but my mom writes to, to all of you, words aren't enough to say how much I appreciate you and all the wonderful people in your church. All the prayers, cards, and flowers are so appreciated. I love all of you and am very blessed 
to be a part of your church family. Love, Nancy Sabella. So we, on behalf of my whole family, thank you so much for your love and prayers. Difficult on my mom. It's not normal to lose a child before. That's just not the way things are supposed to be. She's 90 years old and says, why am I still here? And the answer is because you still have breath. God has a purpose for your life. Uh, but we all, we had a house full and then we all left on Sunday morning. And it was my mom. So it was tough. But she's doing well. Talked to her this morning. She watches. She, she went to her own church uh, today. Um, but she watches all of our services and appreciate your prayers. Next, Missions Week. I haven't spoken since Missions Week. We, from Wednesday to that Sunday, had three amazing services, food, dinner, just all kinds of things, breakfast. And we had a goal of $5,000 for that weekend, and we ended up raising $7,024 for missions in that week. So thank you again. Amen. You can clap for that. That's a ridiculous amount, and, um, but God is good through that, and He provides for all of our needs. Uh, I received uh, an email from a missionary that we've supported for many years. His name is Paul Clark, and he's a missionary to Germany, and he has planted many churches. He's planted so many churches that he actually, within the country of Germany, has started districts, groups of churches. He's an amazing missionary. He's legally blind, but is, that's never hindered anything that he's ever done. So I get an email from him, and we've supported him. He said, Brother Randy, uh, we are starting a church in Liechtenstein, and was wondering if your church could help us get that going. And I went to the board, and we said, absolutely. And so we sent uh, $500 to help him get started in that. That's before our missions convention. Maybe that was the seed we needed. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to find out what we've missed by not giving to missions. You understand? Anyway, so um, he thanked us. And then I got the letter, the email today, or this week, that today is the first service of this church called Life Church in Liechtenstein. And the other neat part of it, it's the first Pentecostal church ever in the history of Liechtenstein. And so we're a part of that. I don't know what the time difference is over there. If they already had church or they're having it later, I can't keep track of that. But they're ahead of us, so they've already had church. Well, we were a part of their church service in advance. Uh, while we were sleeping, they were ministering. That's exciting. I'll leave that up there for you to see as well. We had a work day yesterday, just an amazing crew. Got so much done in a couple hours. Want to thank everyone that helped with that. Looks like some of, some of the people we wore out because I don't see them today, but thanks for that. As Pastor Joe mentioned, the flooring on April 11th. Pastor Joe mentioned a lot of things, didn't he? I know you pray for my wife. She needs it. I want you to elevate Val uh, in your prayer list. Like right under my wife, start praying for Val because her discernment is not great because she actually chose him. And so she needs our prayers and continued support. 
Not great. I wanted to think of something better. That was the best I could come up with on the spur of the moment. But thanks to Pastor Joe, Pastor Roe, Pastor Rick, all of our team and staff. One of the things that wasn't mentioned yet, we're in process of looking at um, fencing over on the parsonage side and in the back, um, the residential side. But, but what I wanted to mention to you today is a play area for our children that'll be enclosed and separated from all of the parking and all of the traffic and all of that uh, and gated and everything. So we have a couple bids. We're gonna be meeting on Tuesday to figure all of that out. Just some awesome things. And I'll, I'll start to preach in a minute, but as I was doing the online service today, I heard all the kids running around in the social hall and there were two reactions. Be quiet, I'm having service or Thank God we have children running around in our church. And I'm going with, thank God we have children running around in our church. We have a new generation that we have the opportunity to pour our lives into. That they can hear the Word of God, be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Vi's little, little grandson, great-grandson, Jackson, they came, well, they both kiss her before they go down. And Jackson goes, I'll see you in two hours. Well, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to preach that long. But in his mind, he would see her in two hours. They had a, can I tell, I'm going to tell this story anyhow, Vi. I mean, you've forgiven me for 23 years. You can forgive me again. They had a passing in their family. Um, I don't remember the details, and I apologize. But her one great-grandson looked at her and said, well, Graham, you might be next. Wow. Wow. Nice. Nice. So hopefully that's not prophetic. But, uh, but thank God we have children in our church. Now, we're ready for some baby dedications. And it won't be my daughter first. So if any of you are in of that age, you know, we're ready for some more, some more children. Invite friends and family to come out and be a part of that. All right. We, uh, you can, I don't know if you're recording all that or not. I'll have Kelly edit all, most of that out uh, <laughs> uh, when we get to it. All of our services are online, whether on podcast, on our website, on YouTube. Any way you can get it, we, we have it. All right. So we've been looking at 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is one of my favorite books, not just in the Old Testament, but in all of Scripture, because of the stories that it tells and the characters that are in it. And it has some very rich characters in it. From Elkanah, if you remember all the way back to the beginning of the year when I preached on Elkanah, who was a man that was just brain dead. He had no understanding of, of life. And his wife was unable to have children and she would weep. And he said to her with all of the sincerity he could muster, am I not more valuable to you than ten sons? Now it doesn't say it in scripture, but if you've been married you know what was said next. No, you idiot, that's why I'm crying. If you were enough I wouldn't be weeping all the time. Maybe not idiot, that might have been my paraphrase. But he was just brain, brain dead. And then we find Hannah who... Uh, God heard her prayers, and when she received the gift of a child, she gave that child back to the Lord as an act of worship. And then God gave her even more children, because God will be no man's debtor. 
And Samuel became the leader, the spiritual leader of the nation. Then Samuel was getting old, and here's how the meeting went. And Pastor Joe preached this last week, and he did a great job, no joke in that, um, did a great job with it. But they came to Samuel, they had a meeting. So imagine a board meeting, it come into the pastor, and the board had a spokesman that said, you're old. Well, that's a tough way to start a meeting. You're old, and your sons don't serve you, we want a king. And Samuel knew that was bad because they already had a king. In fact, they had the king of kings and the lord of lords, but they said, we want a king just like the other nations. And so God in His mercy was going to give them what they asked for. Be careful in that. Because everything we ask for is not necessarily what's best for us. So they asked for a king just like other, the, the other nations. And it's interesting in the phrasing, especially in the New Living Translation, it calls Saul a leader and not a king. See, he was still their king. But Saul was the leader with flesh and blood that they wanted to help them defeat the armies that were around them. They felt that they were in peril because of the other nations. The other nations had a king. They needed a king. I don't know. I don't know. Because God had delivered them and rescued them all the way around. Now if you know the story of Saul, he had an impressive beginning. He had a great start, but it ended poorly. I'm going to have to preach this in several weeks, okay? But I'm going to start with the upside of, of Saul. And the title of the sermon, part one, is The Rise and the Fall of Saul. And at the end of the message, I'll give you the one word that caused the downfall of Saul. One word, you can wait for that. But let's talk about some of the good things about Saul. Now we know that the people of Israel, they wanted a, a king like the other kings. And, and part of what they were looking for was a man of stature, as a representative of who they were. So Saul, or yeah, Saul came from a strong heritage. His father was powerful and wealthy. His personal appearance was striking. He was literally a head taller than everyone else. So when they saw him, they would know that he was a man of significance. These are the traits that the Israelites would have admired. I'm going to move through these quickly. Saul was trustworthy. He was given an important task. This is all in 1 Samuel 9 and 10. I'm not going to read all of it, but 1 Samuel 9 and 10, you can take a look at it. His father had lost a herd of donkeys and needed someone to find him, find them. Now, you have to understand that donkeys were important to them in the day. Like the donkey we're going to have at the petting zoo is just for fun. But the, a herd of donkeys was very valuable in that day. Not just for the work that they could do, but selling them to others. So to lose a herd of donkeys was, was a huge ordeal. It was a huge thing. A great money loss. But it would also, if you think about it in natural terms, take years to get donkeys and breed and develop them to have a whole another herd. So Saul was trustworthy in that his father trusted him to go out uh, and to find these donkeys. Saul was tender-hearted that the longer he was away, he felt um, sorry for his dad because he didn't want his dad to worry. Can I throw a little parenthesis in there for uh, children? And we're all children of someone. A good child considers his parents' feelings before he acts or she acts. That's just being a good child. They consider what it's going to do 
to their parents, the decisions that they make. Proverbs 10.1 says it very clearly, A wise child brings joy to the father, but a foolish child brings grief to a mother. Be wise and don't be foolish. And if you're not sure what to do, I'm telling you, if you do this, this will change your whole life and the whole projection of your life. Read Proverbs every day and it will make you wise. Okay? If you follow the crowd in the world, you'll be a fool and you'll bring heartache to your parents. Well, Saul at this point in his life cared about his father and his father's feelings. He was afraid his father was going to worry. Even at this stage of his life, before he was anointed king, he was led by God. As they were crisscrossing the land looking for the donkeys, his servant heard that there was a man of God there. And so they went to the man of God. They only had a little piece of silver to give him. They didn't have much with them. They only had a little piece of silver. My brother Tom, the one that recently passed away, him and I in the summer uh, one year, he was a school teacher and I was probably in high school, late, late high school. And my father got us a job working for Westinghouse light bulbs. I don't even know, is Westinghouse light bulbs, are they still out there? I don't even know. But we would go to grocery stores, that was part of what my father did as a career, and, and um, we would set up Westinghouse displays. So they would send all the boxes and we would set them up and, and we had a planogram. Does anybody know what a planogram is? You do? That's so awesome. My friend George, you remember George Dargotz, uh, good, good dear brother, he mentioned planogram in a sentence and my heart went pitter-patter because that's what my father did all the time, you know, uh, in that. So my brother Tom and I, we were going around in our region setting up all these Westinghouse things and he had a Volkswagen Rabbit that was diesel. Does anybody remember those? And it sounded like diesel. And it rode like a Volkswagen rabbit. So we get to this podunk town in Pennsylvania, and uh, he goes, You got any money? 75 cents, maybe. He goes, Well, I, I don't have any money either, and I need gas. Well, don't look at me, you're the older brother. So we end up driving to a gas station that had diesel, but neither of us had money. We asked if we could use the phone to call my dad, who had a credit card, because that was before debit cards, and you know everybody had some semblance of a card. And, and this was way back, and we said to the guy, we don't have any money, could we uh, call our dad, and, and would you take his credit card? So here we were, podunk Pennsylvania, no money, calling our dad, and asking for credit card to get gas. Okay, that's one story. Then I hear from a friend of his at the memorial service, your brother was funny, he never had money. I'm like, oh, so it wasn't just me. <laughs> they went to the races in, where's Tony Stewart own his track? Eldora. They go to Eldora in Ohio. They drive three hours to get there. He looks at his friend named Jeff and says, I don't have any money, you got any money? That was my brother Tom. Never carried money with him. That reminds me of this story of Saul who came from a wealthy father, wealthy enough to have a herd of donkeys, to have a servant with him, and he carried no money with him. 
But the servant said, I have some money. Isn't that funny? Here was the wealthy, we'll call him prince at that time, carried no money with him. But they knew that they had to do something for the man of God, and so they offered a piece of silver. And so what was happening here is God was orchestrating his life by using these stray donkeys to lead Saul to Samuel that would also lead him to God. See, even God can use donkeys, which gives us all hope. Amen? Even God can use donkeys, which gives us all hope. Amen? Amen. Pastor Joe? Amen. Nobody got that. You got it, Brother Nick, didn't you? Saul was also humble. He said when he met Samuel, I'm from the least tribe of the least clan of the least tribe. Saul was respectful in that Samuel had told him God had a plan and a purpose for his life and invited him to eat. But he didn't immediately take the head of the table. Instead, he waited to be seated. He had a respectful heart. Samuel invited him to stay over and spend the night, and he did because he respected the man of God. These are all good qualities. These are all good things that's going on. Even his physical appearance was important to the Israelites at that time. He was trustworthy. He was tender-hearted. He was led by God. He was humble. He was respectful. And God had a purpose and a plan for his life. Now I'll pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Then Samuel, verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. God was calling Saul to a new life. Now, this is where I want you to hone in a little bit because when God calls he also confirms. Okay? When God calls, He also confirms. Now back in the day in our Pentecostal circles, it seemed like everybody had a word for someone else. And I had words spoken over me, and some of them good and some of them not. And here's how you could tell whether they were from the Lord or not. Whether they came true or not. It's as simple as that. Because God always confirms the call. Okay? Now this call is not just about vocational ministry like I do. It's also a call that He has on your life. And whatever you're doing right now, not in church, but I mean in your life and in your circles, be it at work and family or whatever the situation might be, that's what God has called you to do. And He will call you and He will confirm that to you. It does involve ministry. It does involve ministry at the church. But I don't want to limit ministry to just inside these four walls. Because God wants to use you wherever He's placed you. But again, the call is always confirmed. So I want you to look at these next few verses here. Because Saul's going, wait, who am I to be anointed as king or as leader of this nation, God's people? How do I know this is even true? Samuel's a man of God, but how do I know this is even true? Samuel gives him a confirmation of it, and watch how detailed it is. When you leave me today, you will see two men. Where will these men be? At Rachel's tomb. On the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found, and that your father has stopped worrying about them, and is now worried about you. He's asking, have you seen my son? 
So the first confirmation is these two men he would see. And when you go to the Oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming. So watch how specific. Two men, they'll tell you about the donkeys. Three men will be walking towards you on their way to worship God. And they will be bringing with them, look how specific, three goats, three loaves of bread, and a third will be carrying a wineskin full of wine. See how specific the call? How did Saul know that he was the one God chosen? Look at all of the specific confirmation. See, the call is always followed by confirmation. When you arrive, that's not even done because he does it in threes. When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place to worship. And they will be playing very specifically these specific instruments, a harp, a tambourine, a flute, a lyre, and they will be prophesying. Three confirmations God was going to give Saul. Then Saul is anointed king. So there's the call, there's the confirmation, and the anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Watch what it says in verse 6 of chapter 10. At the time the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. God calls, He confirms, and He empowers After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days. You've got to remember this later on. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. As Saul, verse 9, turned and started to leave. Watch. As he was obedient... God accomplished all that He said He was going to do. Now in my life, and your call is different than mine, in some ways it's the same, but it's different than mine. I was, you know, speaking at my brother's memorial in the church that I grew up in, and that all my brothers grew up in. And we were all saved there, we were all uh, baptized there, and we were all called there. So as I was preaching it, at the service, it, it, it just struck me that God had brought me back to the very place He had originally called me after, I don't know, 35. My calling was at like 16. I don't know. It's a long time because I'm 55 now. It's a long time. And God had brought me back to that place after all that had gone on. My call was confirmed by different natural means through God's pointing, through God's provision, through um, acceptance. How can I say this in a, a gentle way? Like if somebody is called to be a teacher of God's Word, and everybody thinks they're horrible at it, and there's no results in it, it's possible you might not be a teacher of God's Word, but God can use you in some other way. It's a nice way of putting it. Okay? I could believe I was called to be a pastor all day long, but if no one followed, then, you know, you can believe, but God confirms it in many different ways. He confirmed that that call in my life and went to Bible school and and, uh, was a leader throughout and youth pastor where I met my wife and planted a church and came here. Been here 23 years now. God always confirms. But here's the part of it, too, that I want you to catch. He always empowers you to do what he's called you to do. At 16 years old, I led the youth group at our church. I had never led a youth group before. 
At 17 years old, I left home. I was the least likely dude to ever leave home. I was the dude that might still be living with his mother, typing blogs in the basement. That would be me. But I left home for the first time. I was so, I never even went to youth camp because I was afraid of being out, out that long. That was me. I was afraid to speak in public. I know it's hard to believe now. That was me. I would shake when I would have to speak and say something. God empowered me. I had never youth pastored before. Well, even through college. You know, I, all the things that I was involved in had never done. I'd never youth pastored before. I'd never planted a church before. I'd never pastored an established church. I'd never lived anywhere for 23 years. I'd never pastored a church like this. I had never been through a building project. I had never had multiple staff. I had never done anything. What I'm doing now, I'd never done before. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Not because of me, but God will empower you to do what he's called you to do. You look at your life and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Exactly. Exactly. You can't do it on your own, but he can do it through you if you take the step of obedience. There's things that God wants to accomplish in and through your life, but you're afraid to take the step of obedience because you don't know what the future holds. The question is, do you know who holds the future? See, you can only take the step of obedience not because you know what the future holds, but because you know who holds the future, and the God that is called, that is confirmed, will also empower you by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what He has called you to do. I was preaching this online this morning without waving my arms. And I began to think, you know, a lot of times that we're in a situation that we didn't dream we would be in. And one of those situations is a caregiver. I have immense respect for caregivers. My brother Mark, who's a bit older than I am, his wife is very sick with Huntington's disease. It's a cross between a little bit of dementia and ALS. And it, 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 it has taken a toll on her. And he retired early to care for her. And I couldn't help thinking as he cared for her with patience I don't know that I have that he's been called and confirmed and every day empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish at that point in his life what God wanted to do and use him in at that point in his life. I thought of teachers. Teaching is hard. And if you think teaching is easy, here's what you need to do. You need to quit your job. You need to go to college and pass through all the gates that need to take place. Pass all the boards and exams so that you're qualified. And then go do it. And you too can have three months off. The teachers I know need decades off. Not three months. And teaching now through COVID is even worse because it didn't help the kids to be home. And you can listen to whoever you want and whatever news report you want to hear. I'm telling you, I'm talking to, I know teachers, I know administrators, 
and it is hard, and it has not been easy through everything. If you're a teacher, you're involved in teaching kids and students, you're an administrator, you're whatever, you're listening. Listen, God has called you to do that, and He will empower you by the Holy Spirit to be a positive impact on children that need it so desperately. Maybe you work in a, again, I don't know where all of you work or whatever, but maybe you work in a factory and you have to deal with just people that are, I don't mean bodily, but, but physically, or a, a spiritually dark, filthy jokes, filthy language. And I don't mean just, you know, they let it slip when they hit their hand, their thumb with the hammer. I mean people, every other word is the F word. Do you know people like that? I hope none of you talk like that. Some of the boards sometimes I have to get on. <laughs> but you know, you, you get out of work. I have a feeling. I didn't want to mention Joyce's name out loud. But I had a feeling she turned around and said, we're only cursing because of you, Pastor. I just have a feeling it was, anyway, you know, I'm teasing about that. But have you worked in those environments? You're like, oh my gosh. Every innuendo is something filthy sexually and all of this garbage out there. And you think, oh, if I could only work in a Christian place. No, no. God, listen, God has called you and placed you there that you can be light in the midst of darkness. And that somebody needs you to be there because they're so filthy because there's something bad going on in their life. And they're so angry and vengeful and hateful because something bad has gone on in their life. God didn't create them that way. They have hurt and they have pain and that's why they hurt everyone around them. And it's very possible that you have been called to work there to be light in the midst of darkness. And when you think you can't do it anymore, exactly. You can't do it anymore. But just as I need the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, and I desperately need that every time, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called you to live. And just as He gives me the power of His Holy Spirit, He'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit because He has a call on your life. He's confirmed it to your life. He'll anoint you and empower you to accomplish what He has called you to do. Amen? Ah, that's weak. I am a much... I'm a much better preacher than you are ameners. It's true. It's true. I'm not giving you a second chance. You hurt my feelings. I'm kidding. Some of you are new and you're going, well, why do you go to this church? 1 Samuel, now watch. Verse 9, I don't know if I read this or not, but as he turned and started to leave, let me say this. As he turned from what he was doing to what he was about to do, as he turned to be obedient, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. You want to see God work, be obedient. And if you take that first step of obedience, you'll see him work in ways that you could never ask or imagine. But you've got to take that step of obedience. Saul had all the makings of a great leader, all of these things I told you about. He had it all going for him. The sad part of the story is that he did not stay on the right track. 
and his life ended tragically, which we'll talk about on another day. And there was one trait, there was one thing that brought his downfall. And his downfall had nothing to do with his stature or nature. It was a choice that he made. And this is now where I'm going to hone you in on one key word that makes all of the difference in your life and in your calling. And it's the word that changed Saul from all of the potential to all of the pain that he would experience and cause in his life. And I'm going I'm to pause for a second to let you get back your attention here. And I'm going to give you that one word. And it's, this is no joke. I'm serious as I can be right now. Come back here. Here's the word. Disobedience. Just as obedience began his new walk with new life under the power of the Holy Spirit, his disobedience would lead him away from God until the Spirit of God left him, if you know the story. That is tragic. He became literally crazy. Demonic would be so strong on him, he needed David to come and sing the Psalms of God. How did he go from this, all this potential to all this pain, disobedience to the known will of God? Disobedience to the known word of God. Pastor, are you, are you trying to scare me? Yes. I'm trying to scare you safe. Because whatever disobedience looks good at the time, it's tragic. It's tragic because God has something so much better for you. But you're trying to solve the problems on your own. You're trying to meet your needs on your own. And God has a better way and a better plan and a better purpose. But it takes patience. And the enemy will put these, these things that you can trip over. And he'll make it seem like disobedience isn't so bad. That you're only disobeying a little bit. A little bit of disobedience is complete disobedience. There's no better way to live a life than to obey God. I can't put it any easier than that. He's your loving Heavenly Father that wants what's best for you. He'll do everything in His omnipotence to bring His blessings into your life. But if you disobey, you're rejecting Him. Just like Israel rejected God as king. Just like Saul would reject God as king. And you're missing out on what God has for you. Jesus put it this way in the New Testament. If you love me, you will obey my commands. I'm being a little strong now. You ready? I haven't preached in a few weeks. You can sing all the right songs and you can stand at the right time and you can raise your hands and you can, whatever you do, jump up and down, wave flags or whatever, which I'm not a big fan of. <laughs> this is where my wife would be looking at me going. I'm not a big flag waver because the, the flag wavers never want to stand in the back. 
You can process that on your own. You can do all of those things, but it gets down to obedience. You either obey me or you don't. Let me jump ahead real quick. Saul later on offers a sacrifice when he shouldn't have. In his early stage, he waited for Samuel. In his later stage, he couldn't wait for Samuel. And he offered the sacrifice. And Samuel comes up to him and says, what are you doing? Well, I'm offering a sacrifice. I'm king. I also want to be priest. Samuel says these words that you know. Help us, Jesus. It's better to obey than sacrifice. It's hard to obey God. It's really not. It's hard to serve the devil. That's hard. It's easy to serve God. Because when you obey him, he has all blessings for you. But when you serve the devil, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He has nothing good for you. All right. Okay, pastor, I've disobeyed the Lord, and we all have. What do we do about it? I've made some major mistakes in my life. What do I do about it? I have an answer. It's called the good news. You come to the cross of Jesus Christ, and you say, Jesus, I've made horrendous mistakes. I've disobeyed you. I knew what I was supposed to. And listen, let's cut the baloney and stop saying, well, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. You absolutely knew what you were supposed to do and what not to do. That's a lie. You knew what you were supposed to do and not to do, and you just chose to do your own thing. Okay? And I say it so harshly because you'll never come to the cross if you always think it's somebody else's fault. You've got to get to the cross. And the only way to get to the cross is say, no, it's my fault. I made the mistake. I did it. I chose to willfully disobey the known will of God. Because I knew what was right and wrong. I'm not an animal. But here's the good news. When you admit that and say, I did what was wrong. It was my fault. It was my choice. Jesus, will you forgive me? He says, yes. How often does he say yes? Every single time. He never runs out of yes. I'll forgive you. There's no, there's no quota that, you know, 144,000 people have come to Jesus and now there's, there's, there's no more room. There's always room at the cross. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. But it takes this humbling to say, I messed up. I disobeyed. Jesus, will you forgive me? Yes, he'll forgive you every time. Now, some of you are thinking about, well, what if, I, what if I just keep doing it and I keep asking for forgiveness? As long as you want to ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. But the longer you keep living in disobedience, you won't want to ask for forgiveness. You get that? The longer you continue to disobey him, there will come a point where you no longer turn to the cross. The longer you disobey him, there will come a point where you reject the things of God. Because you have to eliminate guilt somehow. So instead of humbling yourself and coming to the cross, you just reject Christianity as a whole. 
But as long as you admit, God, I've failed you, I've disobeyed, and you come back to the cross, he'll forgive you every single time. And here's what I want for you today. I want you to live forgiven. I want all of the guilt that you've been living and holding on to for so long to be relinquished and let go of at the cross because God, when you confess your sins, doesn't find you guilty anymore. He finds you innocent because of what Jesus has done for you. Well, doesn't God know what I, yeah, he knows what you did. But when he looks at you, he sees what Jesus did. He knows what you did, but when he looks at you, he, he sees what Jesus did. And then he sees us as forgiven. That's what I want for you. A couple things. There's a lot I want for you. I want the call of God to be strongly on your life. I want him to confirm it to you. I want him to empower you by the Holy Spirit. I want you to live obedient. So when you stand before him on that day, you'll hear the words. This is how I ended my brother's funeral. You'll know it. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into my what? Does anybody know? What did I talk about on the last song? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, when you're obedient to God, he gives you joy now, and then you will experience his joy for all eternity. Glory to God. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.